0: WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on this Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Uh, good, ed- good evening, everybody. Rob Jerislein with you. I uh, manage and operate a little business called Outdoor News. Happy to spend the next one hour with you talking about uh, some outdoor topics. We've we'll got a couple interviews planned. Uh, we're going to talk with a gentleman named Matt Ginter here in a little bit. Uh, he is a, a a waterfowl hunting guide, and we will talk to him about snow goose hunting Uh, as i believe i pointed out last week uh, what uh, today (laughs) today is actually the official opener of snow goose spring snow goose hunting here in minnesota the so-called conservation order Uh, i i think i'd even suggested as warm as it had been maybe we'd have a few birds sneaking north a little earlier this year i think given the cold snap and the snow we had uh, and the fact that i'm not seeing any above freezing temperatures at least overnight Uh, In the coming week, I kind of doubt we're going to have snow goose hunting uh, in the very near future, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. Matt Ginter will give us a little insight into that. Uh, We're going to talk about the Aldo Leopold Foundation. Uh, It's the 75th anniversary of a Sand County Almanac, and that foundation is actually based in Wisconsin, down Baraboo Way. Uh, And uh, Buddy Hoffaker is going to join me and talk a little bit about how that organization is marking the 75th anniversary of You know, kind of what's the, uh, how do I put it, the the modern Bible almost of of conservation and wildlife-based science management all starts with a Sand County Almanac, which is now uh, 75 years old. So uh, I think uh, good to pause and talk about some of the uh, events surrounding that uh, anniversary that that organization is going to be marking. Before I go any further I do want to uh, offer my condolences to the family, friends and colleagues uh, of the three public servants that lost their lives down in Burnsville today. Uh, absolutely terrible story. Uh, WCCO reporting on it thoroughly uh, and as well as other news sources, two officers, police officers from Burnsville and a um, uh, first responder losing their life uh, and um, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of great public servants in, in my time. Uh, conservation officers, and folks that, that also they are up in airplanes, things like that, and, and uh, they're putting their life on the line more often than I think we realize. And I want to just take a moment and, again, send my condolences uh, to everybody who knew, knew those three fine public servants. Uh, more coverage of that later on WCCO, I'm sure. Uh, like I say, we've got uh, a week left, believe it or not, just a week left of the walleye fishing season here in Minnesota. That ends one week from today, Sunday, uh, February 25th. The week from today, the walleye season closes on inland waters. Now, of course, we've got border waters. There's still some fishing opportunities on our border waters, Lake of the Woods and, and uh, the river systems. Uh, but uh, And again, I kind of suggested, hey, could we have some open water uh, fishing on inland lakes before uh, that closure? I don't think that's going to happen. I think uh uh, old man Winter uh, reared, uh, roared its ugly head again, and, and uh, gave us a taste of reality. So that's uh, that's not happening. Uh, but so so yeah, the the walleye season closes a week from today, and it will reopen, of course, on May 11th. That's when the walleye opener is uh, for inland waters. And uh, one other little opportunity that still exists. Uh, we, I, on this week's uh, print version of Outdoor News, I put a uh, I put a picture of a squirrel on the front cover. Uh that's not something we we don't put pictures of gray squirrels on the front cover very often, right? I mean, let's face it, no one gets too worked up about squirrels anymore. Used to be a very very popular sport, uh squirrel hunting. Uh but uh, I I went through back issues. I think it had been like 4 years, 5 years since we'd had a squirrel on on the top cover of Outdoor News and thought, yeah, all right. There's not a lot going on right now. I mean, let's face it. Ice fishing's been kind of a bust because of the ice conditions out there. Uh so let's uh, let's honor our squirrel hunters. Who have uh, until February 29th? They got an extra day this year because it's a leap year. Uh, squirrel hunters and rabbit hunters that uh, that season closes, and, and you know, hey, the days are getting longer. I noticed that this past week. I think I issued a tweet on that. Uh, you, I, by the way, I'm on Twitter frequently. At uh, Outdoor Scribe is my handle, uh, but I, I threw up a tweet uh, regarding that that the days are definitely getting longer. You know, the days are as long right now as they are in like late October. So there's quite a bit of daylight if you want to go out and take advantage of uh, that extra day of squirrel hunting that we got here for the next, uh, hey, we still got 10, 11 days. A number of stories broke this past week. I don't have time to get into all of them now. Uh, maybe I can circle back at the end of the show. One thing that popped was the, uh, the legislature had demanded that the DNR issue a report on feral pigs, feral pork, uh, and the, uh, the, uh, the DNR complied issuing a 34-page report Uh, this past Thursday uh, on the status of feral pigs in the state and some recommendations of what we do to make sure they don't become a problem. Um, I don't want to sound too cynical on this, but... It seems like about you know once a year or maybe even less you know some some local media or or some magazine or something's got to do a story on you know this the the growing pending looming threat of feral pigs for Minnesota and and I've been in, I've been doing an outdoors writer for more than thirty years so I've seen a lot of these stories and it it's starting to feel a little bit like much ado about nothing. Uh, yeah. if, you don't want them, no doubt about it. You don't want feral pigs getting loose on the landscape. They're a major problem in other parts of the country, so I don't want to discount that. But for whatever reason, they don't seem to be taken in Minnesota or Wisconsin, uh, and, we, and we want to keep it that way. If, if I think it's, it's, it's good that the public be educated on the topic of feral pigs and, and feral swine, why the, why they're a problem. And if you see feral pigs out there... Contact local conservation officers, contact the DNR, Department of Ag, whatever, as quickly as possible. Because we don't want to get them established, for sure. <clears throat> but this report kind of validating my opinion a little bit that uh, this really isn't an issue yet in Minnesota. And, I, and I, it's not even close to being an issue. Uh, apparently, we had a couple times when maybe someone even tried to stock some some feral pigs. I guess there were a couple cases once in 2016, one in 2018, where there were a couple uh, feral pigs looked like they had, you know, Eurasian genes or they were from the south, which would imply they were brought up here and stocked. Uh, we don't want that. They were quickly eradicated. Apparently, there's a county in North Dakota that's got a few. There's some in Manitoba, you know, so that's one thing. It, it, I think sometimes if you're in Minnesota, you think, well, it's too cold for those things to survive. Well, not necessarily. These these so-called Russian boards or whatever can survive uh, even in Manitoba. So they have been an issue uh, in other places um and also i think in northern michigan there's a couple counties with some feral pigs which kind of got me thinking i wonder how that's got to be one of the only places in the country where you got a few feral pigs running around where you also have a fairly substantial wolf population you would you would tend to think that wolves would that would be a pretty tasty treat for wolves now i know big feral pigs can be big and tough but I, you wouldn't think a piglet would have much of a chance uh, with you know around a pack of wolves. You'd think the wolves would clean them up. I, I think that's a, that would be an interesting story that someone should follow up on. But one final thought: these feral pig stories they remind me a little bit of cougar stories, and not so much here because we generally get a few cougars running through this part of the country um Minnesota cuz we're about 500 miles from the black hills where we get them but yeah i have had to tell some of my writers out east don't write about feral don't write about cougars until they actually exist in your state until someone actually sees like cubs right a, f- a female cougar's with cubs until then it's it's like the equivalent of bigfoot stories they're just they're not there they don't exist yes once in a great while one wanders through heck we had the one wander up to the twin cities but we're 500 miles from the Black Hills. You get out to Ohio, Pennsylvania, some of those other states, You know they're 1,200, 1,500 miles from the Black Hills. Uh, please, everyone calm down about uh, cougars uh, recolonizing. We're, we're a long way from that happening, and I think we're a long way from having to worry about uh, fer- feral pork also. I'll tell you what, let's get in a break. We are going to uh, talk about uh, snow goose hunting opportunities. When we return, you're listening to WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk Eight Three O. I am Rob Dresline on this Sunday, February Eighteenth. Thanks for joining the broadcast. I am here until six PM. You can stay tuned for sixty minutes. Then uh, we got two hours from seven and nine. Eric Thurwanger, sound off with Eric Thurwanger. So uh, check that out. Uh, he's got some topics to discuss. And at nine o'clock, replay of the Sunday take. So good content coming at you all evening. Uh, hey, some nice images from uh, Ted Worth Park this weekend, huh? That snow we got, uh, pretty well-timed for that World Cup, Lopit Cup. Uh, looked like uh, the crowd's out there having a great time, enjoying a, uh, a pretty rare, I guess, that one of these World Cup events and cross-country skiing comes to uh, the United States, Nordic skiing. Um, my, my wife would correct me if I called it cross-country skiing, I guess. So congratulations to all those folks who look like they were having a great time out there, and all the skiers as well, too. Hey, let's get back to casting and blasting a little bit and talk about an event that officially kicks off in Minnesota today. Uh, you can go out and you can hunt snow geese if you want today. You, you might spend a lot of time looking skyward and not seeing anything. The birds, I don't believe, are here yet. Uh, but the season is open, and here to discuss that a little bit is a uh, gentleman. Matt Ginter is his name. Uh, he's got an outfit called SternsCountyOutfitters.com. He's a waterfall hunting guide, and he's uh, been chasing snow geese for several years Matt, are you with me? Hey, Rod, How are you doing? Great, great. I appreciate you tuning in to uh, the broadcast and, and calling in. Uh, Tori McCormick quoted you in a piece in Outdoor News this past week about spring snow goose hunting, and he uh, he mentioned something about you that I said, this guy's a serious waterfowler. I can tell because he, he's he got a Chesapeake. Any any guy that runs a Chessie <laughs> generally pretty darn serious about waterfowling.
1: They are, yeah, I, I've got a couple buddies that um, – they breed them locally here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they go above and beyond on their breeding. Um, I've never owned any anything else for a dog. They're just yeah. they're tough. They're loyal. Uh, it, it's if you're going to be in the waterfall game, it is a tough dog to beat. <laughs> every
0: every and I didn't mean to go off on a dog tangent here, but every year Matt, I do a profile of of a different breed of dog. It's one of my favorite stories I read every year. I've probably been doing it six eight years. And I, one of the first ones I did was Chesapeake's and they, they really are amazing. And if you're a serious waterfowler, I'm not sure you could go wrong, uh, but, uh, but they work hard and they expect their owners to work hard too, don't they?
1: absolutely. Yeah. Mine's about seven years old. Her name's Teal. Uh, she's a uh, smaller Chesapeake. I call her my mini Chessie cause she's about 50 <laughs> pounds, but loves to hunt. Um, and you know, those, you know, big Canada's, uh, brings them back just fine. Like normal. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I, I might every time I go to game fair or any event where they, you know, well, like pheasant fest last time they've got a row of all the different dog breeds. My daughter always loves to check out the Chesapeake's there, uh, and they love her. <laughs> so, yes, Anyway, hey, let, let's talk. Uh, let's talk snow geese a little bit. Like I say, the season officially opened today, uh, but like, that doesn't mean there's any birds here yet. What's the status of migration this year? Where are the birds staging as we speak? I'm sure you've got that dialed in.
1: Yep, yep, for sure. So yeah, there's you know down. in, Missouri, uh, Mount City definitely has like it was 1.2 million on the counter here the other day. Uh, Our main focus is South Dakota. So a lot of our stuff, you know, we're going to be above the uh, Missouri River. My last report from this morning was obviously there is a couple snow geese in the state right now. Nothing, you know, to go start putting decoys on the ground or whatever. We're still a couple weeks away from that, but it is coming. Uh, It's going to be a little bit earlier this year. Than most years, um, not uncommon a few years ago, we had a, an earlier year too, but mm-hmm. we are, uh, definitely getting ready to hop in the trucks and go put some decoys out.
0: I believe the season opened like yesterday in North Dakota and tomorrow in South Dakota, something like that. But all three states here are opening within 24 hours of right now, I believe. So it's, it's going to be off and running um we should give folks a little bit of history here probably even before your time Matt you're a lot younger than me I mean the thought of hunting any waterfowl in the spring was was just ridiculous that was something you only did in the fall uh and in the spring you left birds alone and what happened was the feds both in Canada and in the United States determined this snow goose population has really blown up there's a lot of these birds Uh, They've adapted well to people. They've adapted well to agriculture uh, as they they migrate through the central part of the continent. And if we don't kill more of these birds, they're going to destroy their Arctic breeding grounds. And so we need to put more pressure on them. And the best, cheapest way to do that is to allow hunters to partake and go out and hunt these birds during the spring. That happened, it's been more than 20 years, I believe, right? Uh, Matt, I, I presume you haven't been doing it that long, but do you remember when it kicked off?
1: Uh, you know, I'm, so I'm 29. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah, they've definitely been doing it for a while. Uh, I wish I could have been there at the very beginning doing it um, because the birds have definitely gotten smarter. They've mm-hmm. gotten tougher. Uh, it's the ultimate waterfall challenge, I like to call it. Um, anything from Canada geese to ducks seem easy after chasing snow geese for a while.
0: Yeah, they're very wary of decoy spreads. Uh, there's a lot of older birds in the flocks, it seems like. I mean, and, and some of these birds live like 20, 25 years, right? So they've seen every conceivable uh, decoy layout that, that even someone as smart as you can figure out. And when you're out, do you find you end up shooting a lot of juvenile birds? or Are you able to take some of those those older adult birds too?
1: Absolutely. Well, the the ones where we definitely want are the juvies. Um, They're going to be a lot easier to target. Uh, A couple of years ago, I shot a banded blue goose that was 14 years old. Um, Uh You know, you can imagine how many spreads up and down the flyway uh, (laughs) that bird flew through, how many uh, shots were were probably shot at it, Um, maybe even, you know, how much steel it was carrying in it. Um, It's tough to say, but yeah, definitely... Very, very educated birds. Um, we've, we've got so many different products and trinkets on the market to uh, entice these older birds into your decoys. And we use them all. And then there's days that uh, it seems like nothing works. And we just go back to the basics of just a straight decoy spread and mm-hmm. put all the gadgets away. So mm-hmm. it, it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, there, there's nothing set in stone for hunting snow geese. And that's the big thing. It's just, you know, be creative. Think outside the box. Try something new. There's a lot of guys hunting now. Hunting them nowadays, so uh, you got to be creative.
0: The flyway tends to go through central South Dakota, right? That, that Sand Lake area sees a lot of birds. Sure. Do you do? Are we seeing? It seems like I'm hearing folks say that we're seeing more snow geese, maybe drift into Minnesota. What's your take on that?
1: I, I think in the last yeah, the last uh, handful of years, Minnesota has definitely seen uh, more of a migration on snow geese. Uh, my my biggest prayer is one day everything shifts right over my house because I will have a spread out here the, you know, the day it opens up. But, uh, yeah, Minnesota, I think you can buy a license for $4 over the counter. Um, I know a couple buddies that have done it in Minnesota and, uh, just, I don't think we have the volume here in Western Minnesota to, uh, consistently chase them. I always tell guys that want to try it, you know, just go an hour to three hours, into south dakota you know eastern south dakota and hunt them um you're going to be in millions of birds versus right. you know a handful in minnesota right. so and, for the volume
0: of work for the amount of work you have to invest to try to pursue these birds uh yeah you want it you want to up your odds it has a reputation as being kind of a muddy sport right that uh mm-hmm. you, you get you're out in fields that are thawing out they've got snow they've got moisture any hope that with the lack of moisture this year, the lack of precipitation, it might be a little drier, a little less muddier than uh, than some past years?
1: Well, I've said the same thing, and I, I hope you're right. Uh, yeah, I would love a little bit drier year for sure. We probably won't see as much sheet water this year, which is a very nice bonus um, to run across. But yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit drier springtime. Uh, yeah, you want to bring you want to bring some waterproof boots and bibs and even waders too it's a a great item to have um but yeah i think it will be a little bit drier out there this year
0: this is WCCO Outdoors. Rob Jerisline chatting with Matt Ginter from StearnsCountyOutfitters.com, dot com, a gentleman who has been chasing snow geese on the Dakotas for uh, quite a few years, more than a decade. It sounds like. What do you make of numbers? I mean, I, I I'm starting to hear that you know between some of the late springs that have wiped out some of the hatches on the breeding grounds and all this this added hunting pressure. I mean these these birds are hunted from what you know mid October until they they cross back into Canada. In, you know, in April, there's a ton of hunting pressure on them that maybe it is putting some of a somewhat of a dent into the population. What are you seeing, Matt? Does it seem like numbers are, are holding up or are they are there are there fewer snow geese than there were, uh, you know, a decade ago, which is what we want, by the way, uh, right? We want We want to put this pressure on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I think we're, I think every year we're probably seeing more and more and more. Okay. Um, it, it's, yeah. I, the conservation <laughs> order. Yeah. For what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. It's on um, no limits, no plugs. Um, yeah. They just, it, it's such a tough bird to hunt and they can live, you know, 28, 29, 30 years old. Um, you know, anyone that's ever sat in a snow goose spread before uh, you you're just amazed at how many you're going to see in a day. So uh, definitely no shortage of birds out there by any means.
0: Well, and and I've hunted snow geese a few times, and I've said it it is the most incredible form of hunting that I've ever experienced and maybe the most frustrating because the first hour you're out there and these flocks are going over, it's just absolutely breathtaking. Uh, Then several hours later when none of them have approached your decoys and you haven't gotten any shots, you're like, what are we doing? Um, Now, I probably haven't been out there with a guide as good as you, Matt, but I'm sure you've experienced days
1: like that. For sure. Yeah. And the big thing is, is, you know, most of the birds that you see are never even going to look at your decoy spread. Their biggest thing, they want to push north up to the tundra. They want to breed. That's their number one goal. Like they'll starve themselves. They will stand on frozen ice, frozen lakes. Um, It's the, yeah, their, their number one goal is not to drop into a decoy spread. They just want to push north. So um, the big thing is just getting, the correct weather getting tired birds hungry birds um is really a number one
0: matt we're pretty much out of time here real quick uh why do you love hunting these birds and some people say they're not good eating i think they're pretty darn good eating right the the great table fare too
1: uh, awesome table fair yes snow geese are awesome to eat for sure
0: and uh it's is breathtaking a great word for it when you see those flocks come over
1: it's it, absolutely it's one of those things uh if you're a water follower and you haven't done it, uh, just go one time. Even if yeah. you don't go on, take a drive to South Dakota um, mm-hmm. or anywhere where you're underneath millions and millions of snow geese. And uh, just to see the migration, the sound, the roar for any of my snow geese hunters out there that know what the roar is about. Y- you just got to see it. There's no it, it videos and pictures that put it in the justice. You just got to see it.
0: Yeah, it's an absolute spectacle. I would uh, totally agree and, and encourage folks to go check it out themselves. Well, hey, uh, Matt, I'm sure you got uh, opportunities for folks if they want to go see that and go hunt with you. Uh, they can go to StearnsCountyOutfitters.com, best place to reach you.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We're on Facebook, Instagram, uh, com, or you can reach me at my number 320-492-3995. we still got a couple dates open uh, early March. Love to get some more guys out there and uh, just show them what, south dakota snow goose hunting is all about it's something every waterfowler should definitely have on their bucket list
0: perfect well matt best of luck to you this spring uh, maybe we'll check in with you uh in, into the season or at the end of the season see how it went this year
1: oh well, sounds great rob appreciate your time
0: you bet take care matt Ginter from Stearns county outfitters appreciate him checking in the snow goose hunting season is officially open we just need the birds to arrive Uh, But like I say, it is absolutely breathtaking if you've never seen it. Let's break. Uh, When we return, we're going to talk about uh, the 75th anniversary of a Sand County Almanac. Don't go away. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Drieslein from Outdoor News with you on this Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Hey, I was reading um, my friend Pat Durkin's column in Wisconsin Outdoor News this week, and I thought it would be a good time to maybe talk about, it's not just a Wisconsin topic, it's a topic that affects conservation across the country. Hard to believe it's the 75th anniversary of Aldo Leopold's seminal Conservation Tome, a Sand County Almanac. And there's a nifty organization down in Baraboo, Wisconsin, that celebrates all things Leopold, It's called the Aldo Leopold Foundation, and here to talk a little bit about that organization and about Aldo Leopold and the 75th anniversary of that important book is Buddy Hoffaker. He's the executive director of the Aldo Leopold Foundation, and he joins us now. Buddy, thanks a lot for for joining me on the broadcast. Oh, glad to be with you, Rob. Yeah, I thought uh, this is a big deal. You've got some events cooking around this 75th anniversary. But let's, uh, for folks listening to say, what, who's Aldo Leopold? What's that all about? A Sand County Almanac, why is that such an important book to folks in the conservation community?
2: Yeah, great question, Rob. So, you know, 75 years is a long time to be talking about anything, let alone a book. And we're still talking about Aldo Leopold and a Sand County Almanac because it was really one of the earliest books in North America that articulated this idea that, we have an ethical obligation to each other and to the land in order to ensure that we have healthy wildlife populations, clean air, clean water, healthy food. And uh, St. County Almanac was Leopold's seminal work. He is credited with founding the field of wildlife ecology. He has a wilderness center named after him, a sustainable agriculture center named after him. So he touched a lot of different aspects of conservation But it's this book, a Sand County Almanac, that's now been translated into 15 different languages. So people all across the world look to this book as their kind of connection point to why we can and should care about the natural world in order to take care of ourselves and all things wild. And in it, he puts forward this idea called a land ethic. And how I describe that is that he's challenging us to recognize that we're a part of the biological community, not apart from it. And if we recognize that, and then we'll extend the same ethical care and consideration to the flora and fauna as we do our friends and family. And that and we really recognize we're all in this together. Uh, again, the book just continues to be read. If you go to any kind of environmental conference or a wildlife refuge, you'll often see a quote by Aldo Leopold that sums up uh, why nature is so yeah. special and important.
0: Uh, he was a scientist himself. He was a professor. He founded, correct me if I'm wrong, the first Wildlife Ecology Department in the country at UW-Madison. Uh, I went to Madison. My dorm, Sullivan Hall, had a floor named after him. I believe now there's a whole dormitory
2: uh, named That's correct. There's a the whole dorm called the Leopold Dorm. Yeah. 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 It all started right there in Wisconsin. And I think in some ways, there's no place. I mean, Leopold kind of found himself here by chance. He was a Midwesterner, but worked in the Southwest for a long time with the Forest Service. But, you know, it's I think it's conservation's unique natural resources and landscape and deep conservation heritage that really provided the fertile ground for him to come up with this idea of of wildlife management and then to write a Sand County Almanac.
0: Yeah, he was originally, I think, raised uh, in the Mississippi River Valley, wasn't he? Yeah, early to Iowa.
2: Iowa Which I've always felt a bit
0: of a bond to because I my my formative years were just upriver in the in the Trumple Winona area on the Mississippi River. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, before Leopold, we had Muir, we had Thoreau with their important environmental writing, but Leopold really got traction in my opinion, because he applied science to it. Is that, am I simplifying things a little too much or what do you make of that statement? No,
2: I think you're absolutely right. You know, he was really one of our country's first professionally trained conservationists. He went to the Yale School of Forestry, which was the only program available in the early 1900, graduated in the fifth graduating class. And so he brought scientific knowledge and insights to his writing in a way that Muir and Thoreau didn't. And then he built on like George Bird Grinnell and Hornaday, who are writing mm-hmm. about wildlife, but didn't have kind of the prose and lyrical qualities about their work. And so he really becomes the first scientist that is articulating in of beautiful language why we should care about the natural world and brings just more scientific insights to it and rigor. And again, then also through his other work, he's building the whole field of wildlife ecology. So his students then go on to be the first professors on whatever campus they end up at, and then that's how the whole field grows.
0: Including the late great Art Hawkins, who I was lucky to know, and I I know Art's extended family, uh, his his children and grandchildren to this day. That's a whole whole other story. A Sand County Almanac was about Leopold's experience, kind of rehabilitating a chunk of pretty beat up land uh, along the Wisconsin River. And is it in Sauk County in that Baraboo area? And that's where this foundation is based today, right?
2: Correct. So, uh, you know, he worked for the Forest Service, took care of public land, then came back, pursued his real interest in wildlife and became a professor and kind of realized that if conservation was going to be successful, it was going to require everybody to participate. And so... He gets his own hands dirty, buys a farm along the Wisconsin River that's pretty much worn out farmland, and starts planting trees and plants over the course of his lifetime, over 40,000 pine trees, plants prairie, hardwoods, other wildlife habitat projects. And it's really his successes and failures that leads him to write this book. So he writes the Sand County Almanac. The first section is all about what he and his family do to understand the land, to plant trees uh, to study the wildlife. The middle section is then kind of diagnosing conservation challenges. The most poignant essay out of that section is thinking like a mountain where he talks about uh, Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. how he realized predators have a role in the ecosystem. And then Uh, the final section are these philosophical essays about uh, how we need to rethink our relationship to the natural world.
0: So my dad loved the Sand County Almanac and applied a lot of those principles to some of the land that he owned, which meant I planted a lot of trees and hauled a lot of buckets of water. So thank you, Eldo Leopold for all the uh, hard work you put me through to uh, fulfill my old man's dream of But doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger rob (laughs) there you go you're right you're exactly right we're talking with buddy hoffaker he is the executive director of the aldo leopold foundation down in baraboo wisconsin a little bit about the history behind the great conservation book a sand county almanac uh, written by aldo leopold the book was actually published after leopold died right unfortunately uh, he died of a heart attack while fighting a, a brush fire on, on that very property we're talking about, right? Died he, before his time.
2: That's correct, yeah. So he, only a week before he passed away, an uh, untimely death, as you described, via uh, uh, a heart attack, had he finally heard that Oxford University Press would publish his book. He had been working on mm-hmm. it for 13 years, been rejected at least three wow. times. You could you could argue wow. five, if depending on how closely you want to read the I letters back from different publishers. And then uh, his, his family and friends did the final editing to ensure that the book would get brought out to the public in 1949. For a long time, it was just read by wildlife professionals or forestry professionals. And really, then what happened by uh, happenstance is in the 60s, Oxford brought it out in a paperback. And then what happened on, in 1970? Earth Day. And so the world was looking right. for good environmental literature And Leopold was one of the few writers out there. And so he gets kind of rediscovered or discovered by a popular audience. And ever since then, the book has just been kind of on a continual growth curve. Uh, Gaylord Nelson, former senator from Wisconsin,
0: launched Earth Day. So another uh, Wisconsin connection there. Exactly. Well, we should uh, talk about all the events you've got cooking to celebrate the 75th anniversary of a Sand County Almanac. Some of them are virtual, so folks in Minnesota, I presume, can, can access them easily. Baraboo is not that far from the Twin Cities, what probably can make it in three and a half hours. So it's, it's not a long drive. We've got easy driving conditions this winter. If folks want to head down there. Tell us about some of the things you've got cooking uh, to celebrate. Yeah, anniversary.
2: Uh, yeah, thanks, Rob. So first, I always encourage visits. Uh, you know, we have people literally come from all over the world to see the place that inspired Leopold to write the book. And then we subsequently built the Leopold Center just down the road from the shack. And it's built out of trees that the family planted in the 30s and 40s and is really, uh, you know, I'm biased, but I think a pretty amazing facility. We have interpretive uh, exhibits about Leopold and um, it's all native landscape. So it's, it's worth coming to the Leopold Center unto itself, let alone then also going to the National Historic Site. So come visit us. And then we also are taking the show on the road. We're doing a speaking tour, so still lining up dates. Uh, looking to do something in northern Minnesota late in the summer, probably do something in Twin Cities at some point. Uh, so we'll keep you posted as as we get dates on the calendar. But most imminently is what we call Leopold Week. And this was established over 20 years ago by a professor from Madison, Tom Heberline, who loved the Sand County Almanac, believed in a land ethic, and in early March wanted to be outside, but usually the weather didn't want him to be outside. And so he got a group of friends together and they started reading the Sand County Almanac aloud. And that mm. grew. It was started in the Lodi, Wisconsin basement, public library basement. And at <laughs> some point we had over 30 communities across the upper Midwest doing events on this first weekend in March. And then of course, COVID shut it all down. And so mm. by popular demand, we kind of started a virtual program. And last year, during Leopold Week, we had nearly 8,000 people participate from 14 different countries all over the world. So it's a really fun way to get people together that, that care about conservation. We have a great lineup of speakers. This year, uh, it kicks off on Friday, March 1st. And then there are events over the course of the following week on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. A couple of headliners are Ed Young, who is the author of An Immense World. It's a New York Times bestseller. That's Thursday night, March 7th. Uh, Wednesday at lunchtime, we have Carl Malcolm, who some of your uh, listeners and readers would know. He's a huge outdoor hunter, hiker, camper. Uh, he's going to be talking about hunting and hiking in the Gila Wilderness down in New Mexico that Leopold was instrumental oh, okay. in protecting. And then we have a, a, a whole lineup of speakers that you can see at aldoleopold.org to see who's going to be with us. AldoLeopold.org. See the
0: whole lineup. If you can't participate in Leopold Week, I'd encourage folks, and if you're ever passing through that area, drop in and check out the shack, check out the the facility there. I've done that a couple times with my kids. It's a beautiful facility with, with a lot of history behind it, and I think it's a great opportunity that a lot of people in the upper Midwest don't know about. Buddy, a lot of fun chatting with you. We'll stay in touch if you have any events here in Minnesota, perhaps later
2: this year, but good luck with Leopold Week and thank you for all you do on behalf of conservation. Well, thanks and right back at you, Rob. Outdoors news is an important source of information for uh, all things conservation. I like to hear that. <laughs> Again, Buddy Hoffaker,
0: he's from the Aldo Leopold Foundation, aldoleopold.org. Check out Leopold Week coming up that first full week of March. Let's get in a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830 on February eighteenth, twenty 2024. Just a few minutes left here. Rob Jerisline, thanks for tuning into the broadcast. Uh, when we wrap up, stay tuned for 60 Minutes. Then from 7 to 9 p.m., sound off with Eric Thurwanger. And at 9 p.m., a replay of the Sunday Take. So stay tuned. Some good content coming at you the rest of the evening on WCCO. Uh, hey, I mentioned that a week from today, the walleye and pike season closes. Uh, then, of course, it reopens on the May 11th opener for inland waters. Uh, but, hey, if there's still decent ice, and there might be, you know, who knows? We we could have some cold and, and might have better ice, you know, into March than we've had earlier this winter. We might not, too. I You know, I'm seeing some forecasts for some warm temperatures coming up. But if we still have ice, you can go out pan fishing. That's still open. I want to be clear, just because of that walleye season Ends a week from today does not mean you can't go out and fish some crappies or panfisher or, or some other species. So get out there and, and try to enjoy what's left of winter. Uh, we did get a report this past Tuesday night. Uh, speaking of walleyes, Lake Malak, uh, the uh, the the DNR meets with a uh, kind of a uh, the community up there and talks about what what we're facing for a regulation on that lake. Uh, previously the DNR had met with representatives of the Ojibwa Bands to talk about the safe allowable harvest on that lake, and we're finding out it will be lower than last year, 157,500 pounds compared to 175,000 pounds in 2023. Uh, So that's down, what, uh, 17,000, 18,000 pounds, and and the state doesn't get all that. The state's going to get about 91,000 pounds. The Bands get the balance. Uh, this past year, we had a 21 to 23-inch uh, harvest slot regulation on that lake. Uh, we will not have that. Uh, it'll have to be probably a little tighter to account for the fact that um, that uh, there's not as high a quota in 2024. And the, uh, the even though we haven't had great ice, the harvest on the ice harvest has been a little higher this year, 8,000 pounds compared to 4,300 last year. Uh, the DNR chalking that up to the fact that there's not a lot of perch forage on that lake, and so the walleyes are hungry, and they're snapping at lures, and it's been a pretty good bite. So um, that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, The, the fish are snapping. That means the DNR's got to be maybe a little more conservative with that reg. I'm out of time. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to all our listeners. I hope everybody has themselves a great week out of doors. Rob Drieslein signing off right now for WCCO Outdoors.